Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, no, no, this isn't Fenway Park in Boston. This is Minnesota. I'm doing my best. The problem is, and I had the same problem when I did the Info 411, I have to bend down to do it. It doesn't come to me, I have to come to it. And so I am now looking at the podium, straight down. So, with this understanding, we're gonna get started, if that's all right with everyone. You got other places to go in about an hour, so we have about an hour's worth of content to share with you. My name is Brian Charlson. I am Director of Technology at the Carroll Center for the Blind in Newton, Massachusetts. And in that capacity, we work with many, many, many college students who are having to learn the joys of distance learning, all that online stuff that back when I went to college some years ago, um, <laughs> simply wasn't a possibility. So we put together a panel of three individuals and each one of them will introduce themselves as they speak. Uh, I'm gonna start by simply explaining a bit of what I do and how that impacts this question. Then I'm gonna pass it on to the next two panelists and they'll pass it on to one another. So at the Carroll Center for the Blind, as I said, we have a lot of students who come through and are seeking training to turn what they called their computer skills in high school into skills that would assist them when attending college. We call it the Computing for College program because we're very clever when it comes to our titles. <laughs> and uh, we've been doing this now for 20 plus years. So education has certainly changed in those 20 plus years. It used to be all we really had to teach is word processing, and now we have to teach, well, let's see, um, file management, word processing, email, all the things associated with a PIM, including what the hell is a PIM, and um, spreadsheets and, and uh, PowerPoint presentations and scanners, and, and the list goes on and on. And we're given about the same amount of time to do all of those that we used to get to teach them word processing. So the other change that happened over the course of that time is more and more of the student experience became an online experience, starting with looking for a school, continuing on to filing the necessary paperwork to seek funding to go to school, including how to find out where you are with respect to the classes you are taking, even if they are face-to-face -face classes. Then it's keeping track of who owes who what money in the whole experience. And boy, am I glad I'm not going to school today because of the dollars and cents question. Each aspect of it, and the very end of this trail is actually taking a course online. A few years back, uh, the webmaster for the Carroll Center for the Blind, a guy by the name of Mark Sadecki, uh, we decided that he was way underutilized and we decided to do some online learning at the Carroll Center. So we created, well first we went out and looked at what the online learning systems were out there and we found that they had a lot of very interesting things, uh, two thirds of which were inaccessible in one form or another. So we dissected what was an online learning process all about and we created our own little kludgy, pulled together way of pulling that off created a website called Carol Tech and offered a variety of courses through that. This again was prior to these things being very accessible to anybody. Over time, Mark and I turned that little activity into web accessibility evaluation and testing on a fee-for-service basis. And once we got that up and rolling, somebody stole Mark from me. The World Wide Web Consortium Web Access Initiative stolen from us and although you know that was sad for us it was good for the rest of the world because Mark really knows his stuff and I got my vengeance back when two years later he was stolen from them and now works for a little entity called edX he is the accessibility specialist at edX and those who know that lovely acronym know that this is really where the future of MOOCs are Anybody tell me what a MOOC is? Multi-user. Basically, it's when thousands of people take the same class, all online at the same time. And I'm not exaggerating when I say thousands at the same time. 
So he's all about making that experience accessible. Now, the entities that make up the consortium called edX uh, weren't taking the whole accessibility question quite seriously enough. So a little entity known as the Department of Justice had a little sit-down chat with them. And so they're now under obligation to make the material made available through members of the consortium accessible with, of course, all of those caveats like... <clears throat> And as much as it, it is doable based on the technologies currently available and as long as it doesn't hurt too much. That's euphemism for legal speak. Nonetheless, online learning has changed quite a bit. As we realized that we could not provide all the components of an online learning management system cobbled together by our very small staff at the Carroll Center, we decided to go open source. And when we went open source, because we couldn't afford things like, anybody here use Blackboard? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, Blackboard is a scalable product. But you must start by paying for 1,000 seats before you can start the game. And then it goes up from there. So we didn't need 1,000 students at a time at the Carroll Center. We were interested in you know two or three dozen at a given time. So we couldn't go that direction, so we had to look for an alternative, and we found the alternative that we chose to use called Moodle, like Noodle, but with an M as in mother. And I'll be talking a little bit more about the Moodle experience in a moment. But we did Moodle for quite some time, and right now I'm in the process of shutting down our Moodle experience and allowing others to take up the reins of that process. Now I'd like to turn it over to Jeff Bishop, and he can explain why he's on this panel today. Mr. Jeff Bishop. All right, thank you, Brian. Hello again, students. Uh, again, I work at the University of Arizona, and in my past life there, I've been there a while, I, I worked on our LMS team, and I supported our D2L product. Any of you use D2L out there? Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Um, I have experience, a little bit of experience with Canvas as well, but not extensive use, but, but a little bit use. I, I will say that the, that the D2L team and the, uh, that the Canvas teams have extremely strong accessibility teams. Um, they are very committed to accessibility, and, and they do a lot of really, really good things. Uh, I, I now work in our uh, Disability Resource Center, and so I work still on our, our learning management system, but more strictly from an accessibility perspective as opposed to building out the code that, that we would write to enhance our D2L system. And some of the things that, that we have learned in, in, in both of my roles are, what do, you think, what do you think is the key problem with online learning systems today? Anyone have any guesses? Okay. Okay. All right. Any other guesses out there? Graphics. Graphics. Okay. Interactive chat. Interactive chat. Yeah. Right. Anyone else? Okay. Well, let's assume that let's assume that the that the learning management system that you're using, whether it's D2L, uh, and I'm not saying that all of these are. I'm just saying that let's just assume that they are that either D2L, Blackboard, or Canvas, or, or Moodle, or whatever you're picking as your, as your platform of choice. Let's say that it was fully accessible as, as far as the LMS was concerned. Then what do you think is the biggest problem? All the shifts in browsers and screen readers and operating systems and getting them to work together. Okay, good. Any other guesses? Teachers loading graphics into the upper. Yeah. So this is the problem, right? So one of the things, I run around campus all the time, and I tell professors, I say, look, we buy accessible learning management systems, but then you put garbage into them, right? And, and I'm not saying it's garbage, because it's really not, but to a screen reader it is, right? In other words, if, you, if you're not inclusive for everyone, then the material is not correct. So we, ha we do a lot of educating around this area of saying, listen, 
it's really good that we're providing to you this really great and accessible online le learning management system, but you need to make sure that you're putting accessible content into that system. And, and that's truly one of the biggest barriers right now, at least that, at least that we're seeing. But I'll talk more later about D2L and, and accessibility and, and things that you can do to, to make that better and just overall experiences, both from a, a student and a faculty member as well as administration as well. So I'm gonna hand the mic over to Chris. Here you are. All right, thank you. Uh, again, Chris Kachar, I am the uh, ACB Students Webmaster as well as, uh, I'm, I'm employed at the City University of New York's School of Professional Studies. I do, uh, ostensibly I do most of my work with uh, uh, disabled students and AT, but also on the faculty side, we we work uh, kind of in tandem to uh, integrate accessibility into all of our processes, and that includes uh, anything from course content to you know learning management systems and, and course design. And uh, I'm, I'm also on the <clears throat> I'm also on the State Rehabilitation Council, representing uh, consumers with dual sensory loss. So I, I have a bit of a unique uh, perspective, you know, beyond blindness, and I, I kind of try to integrate the, the cross-disability spectrum. Uh, I want to expand on what I believe Brian had said earlier in terms of really the, the changing landscape. You know, AT and, and technology as a whole used to function as a way to kind of circumvent access barriers. Right now, it just simply it is the process by which we achieve a lot of different things for, for everyone, not just uh, people with disabilities. Um, so what happens with this changing landscape? Uh, certainly there are a lot more, there's a lot more of a need to adopt technology into the workflow. It's no longer just a means to an end. Uh, and the way I was brought on to, uh, to working for CUNY uh, was because there, there were a lot of um, complaints. CUNY School of Professional Studies used to be an, uh, kind of part of the broader kind of CUNY system in terms of doing their online programs. And now we have a couple of face-to-face -face courses and we, we operate a little bit more autonomously. But uh, we, about two-thirds of our, our coursework now is, is online, it's asynchronous. And we've got quite a sizable disability studies program on, on the bachelor's and master's level. And by extension, uh, we, we have quite a sizable disabled students population. Uh, you know, due to various functional limitations, uh, many disabled students prefer online kind of asynchronous courses. So we're trying to support that and we're trying to function we're, we're really trying to be a model uh, for inclusion. Um, so the, when I was brought on, there, you know, there were many problems with uh, the students not being able to have the proper support in terms of you know, how do we kind of bridge the gap in terms of using, well, we use Blackboard. So you know, how do we support students to, uh, to essentially access their course material, you know, it's, it, the web interfaces are complex. Any, any learning management system is going to be a high, highly complex interface. And um, I think there's a certain level of responsibility uh, that lies with the student in terms of really kind of mastering their screen reader, uh, the command set for, for navigating the web and that paradigm, because that, that changes fairly rapidly, and I, I really want to emphasize that that kind of user responsibility. Jeff, do you have anything to add? Yeah. Um, in, in, our, in our work, uh, what we encourage um, students to really make sure that they're advocating for themselves in the classroom, too. Uh, we, we, will, we will do everything we can to make sure they have uh, access to, you know, uh, systems and, and, and all of that. But um, they need to be doing what they can 
to, to make sure that they're looking out for their best interest too. Um, it, well, when, when we are uh, going out and, and talking to professors as well as uh, uh, people who are managing uh, class sites, so for example, D2L, you, we build out uh, um, course sites for them and they can be built many different ways and they can embed their own web pages so that creates some interesting challenges. So we really try to make sure that we educate them on best practices. We, we have this course that we run around and give called um, Web Accessibility Done the Wildcat Way, you know, kind of taking our sport theme and, and mixing it in with accessibility, that's kind of fun. Um, and we uh, really, try to, really try to make sure that, that, that uh, they fully understand the, the ramifications of, of this. Um, one thing I would encourage you to do that if, if, you're, if your disability resource center uh, or equivalent is at your university is not involved in an accessibility working group with your specific vendor, then go to them and tell them to get themselves involved. Um, I think all of them, I think, doesn't Blackboard have one? Yeah, I think Blackboard has one too. I know, I know D2L does, I know uh, Canvas certainly does, and, and um, does Moodle have one? Yeah, so, so it's really important, for, for example, we meet with the D2L team, we meet with them monthly, and we talk on specific topics, and right now the big discussion that's happening is centered around MathML. How many are you using uh, MathML in your courses? Anybody out there doing that? Some, right? Yeah, we've had problems with my last lab um, in accessibility with screen readers um, at our university. Hmm? Yeah. So yeah, we've had we've had problems in this area, and and also um, we, we've had some issues with MathML. And and uh, one of the things that we learned was that if you want if you want access to MathML content in PowerPoint or Word documents, when a lot of people are distributing it that way, then you have to buy MathType. Anyone else run into this? Yeah. yeah. So that's not good. That, that didn't make us very happy um, because blind person can't really use, utilize most of what math type provides as far as you know creating content. So um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's really good. I, I think that we're we're in a good place right now from an online learning perspective. Um, one thing that I would say to you is, is that you need to be very, very skilled in the technology that you use, right, Chris? Yeah, that, that we, need to, we need to make sure that, that when you're coming into an online learning environment that you know your tool set, know your screen reader, know your, know your screen magnification software inside and out. They're, they're getting easier and easier all the time, but, you know, like Clarence Wiley used to say, and many of you probably won't know who he was, but he used to work for uh, GW Micro and he passed away a number of years ago from cancer. And he, it was funny, we, we were sitting in a room of, and this was back in the day where the screen reader competition was fierce, not like today where all of them are pretty much under one umbrella now, right? Um, and, and, Clarence, and Clarence said, I want all of you to go out and buy a copy of JAWS. And, he, and, and everyone was like, what do you mean you want us to go buy a copy of JAWS? And he said, yes. I want you to have as many tools in your tool belt to make yourself successful, okay? And that's, and, and you know, that, that really impressed me and, and, and it stuck with me to this day. So make sure that you're a master of your tool set, that you know your screen reader well, and that you know that technology well inside and out because you're gonna need, in some circles, you're gonna need to know all of its capabilities to be able to get some, you know, get things done. But I will say that I think for the most part, I, I mean, mothers might disagree here, but I think for the most part, our online learning systems are pretty darn accessible these days for the most part. My turn, my turn. <laughs> Brian, I'm very subtle, huh? So I want to decode a few things just in case there are people in the room who don't follow all of the geek speak that falls off our lips as we're up here, okay? So they're synchronous and asynchronous. How do you tell the difference? What does that mean? Right. Asynchronous is when you can participate in the course content at any time. Synchronous is when it's 
You've got to be there at a given time to participate collectively together. So that's number one. Next decoder is um, online versus mixed. A lot of courses these days require that you take part of the course online and part of it face-to-face. -face. So you need to find that out about the course you're considering taking. Now, naturally, all of the companies who are making these online learning management systems, LMSs, are interested in giving the customer of that product, which incidentally is not you or me, it's the college or university, right? They're the buyers. And what they want the most in all the world, other than something as cheap as they can get it, because they, they have their own budgets to balance, they also want to give the customer as many options as possible. And along with options comes opportunities for people to do it the right way and people to do it the wrong way. Some of it is simply a matter of what you select to get something done. Think in, in the field of testing your skill sets. We can certainly handle multiple choice. We can handle fill in the blank. We can handle short essay questions. But boy, if they throw up a question up there with two columns of information, you're supposed to draw a nice pretty line between the right one in the left column and the correct one in the right column. Yep. That is not ever going to be accessible. It's a choice that the uh, creator of that particular course can choose to do or choose not to do. And we want to make sure that they have cho choices, they know what the right choice would be, and we don't feel that it's necessary for them to make any compromises as to the, let me try to throw in an education word, the pedagogy of the process, right? Our goal is not to make answering the question simple, it's to make it doable in the first place. Now an online course typically contains some process for you to register for it. Doesn't do you much good to have an accessible course if there's no way for you to register for it. You have to have a means, and I heard a couple of people when Jeff was asking his question, what's the, what's the real stumbling block? A huge stumbling block can be communications between the teacher and the student and between students. My least favorite projects always were the ones where we're going to divide you in teams of three. I instantly groan because I have lost control of my universe when I have to do those kind of things. So communications in an online universe are even more important to make sure that they're fully accessible. Those of us who lived through the days of banking when we could go up to the teller as opposed to go up to the ATM know about the joys of transition from one method to another. So this is, this is part of that. So communication is number one. And synchronous has some advantages over asynchronous in that regard. If a conference or if communication, and you can be graded by how much you participate, right, gentlemen? Yep. So, oh, absolutely. So, and if this is a threaded conversation, you can't read it chronologically, next message, next message, next message. You have to be able to say, who was he responding to? What did they say and what were they referring to when they said it? So you have to have the capability of doing that kind of communication. Right. The next component has got to be this whole business of reading the content, the, the virtual online textbook. Mm -hmm. Biggest issues would be the format of that content. Right. Right? We all know that there's accessible PDF and there's inaccessible PDF. Or PowerPoint. Or PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much that you can say out and out, PDFs aren't accessible. That is not true. Yeah. But. Somebody has to make a conscious decision to save PDF content in an accessible fashion. Yep. And that is not the default in the programs that allow you to create that. That's something you can opt into, and we in ACB have been trying to push so that one has to literally opt out of doing it that way yep. rather than opting into it. So that second component is the textbook. and it's. And it doesn't matter, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going into the first grade or in the last year of your, your PhD. 
The nature of the textbook has changed dramatically. And textbooks the kids are using in the first grade require technical expertise to use. Yeah, because they're all visual and, you know. Oh, and they're multimedia. Multimedia. And they're interactive. Yeah, exactly. And that all sounds really cool until you're trying to do it with speech. <laughs> or magnification, for that matter, right? This is not an all, gee, the blind people are the ones who are having trouble, not the low vision people. The low vision people have their own difficulties in this. So there's access to that kind of content. And that leads on to the other part, and this is probably the biggest difficulty in my experience, and that is the simulation. Where you're expected to interact with a, with a component where you're supposed to I'm going to use an extreme example, dissect a frog on screen. Yep. Uh, that's just one example, though. Uh, those courses absolutely do exist out there that have components where you're supposed to interact with a simulation. It can look like a spreadsheet. It can act like a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. But it don't necessarily navigate like a spreadsheet. It's very much point and click in a lot of these simulations. So as a student, and this, I guess this is the other thing I want to make sure that we get into this conversation, gentlemen, and that is, um, and I'm sure that ACB students are dealing with this as well as an affiliate, and that is that learning is lifelong learning. It is not something one does from the age of 18 to 26. It's what somebody does from virtually their first breath to their last. And so a lot of us who are technology immigrants, we were not born with a digital spoon in our mouths, you know? Uh, we had to learn this um, when it wasn't our native way of learning. So as Jeff said, you got to know your tools. As both Jeff and Chris said, you have to fill up that tool belt with lots of different tools because when push comes to shove, the one who's, you can have the most accessible thing in the world and understand that I've been teaching blind people to use technology for 30 years. If you, you can't go to a website and say it's not accessible, why? Well, I can't use it. Well, I'm telling you, at least half the problem is the user. Yep. You've got to learn to use your tools. And it is very frustrating for people who are getting degrees in something other than computer science to have to invest so much time in learning to use computers in order to become a social worker. And yet that is the world we live in, so we need to take some responsibility for that. I'm going to be preachy one last time to sit down and let the other guys say some, some more stuff. Um, when something is inaccessible, what is your reaction to it? Almost everybody who runs into something that's inaccessible turns the other way. Because we've been taught from the beginning to find a way to adapt to our environment. And many times that means, for example, you brought up a Google search, got a thousand pages, the first one isn't accessible, what do you do? You go to the next one. And if that's not accessible, you go to the next one. What did you do? to inform the first one that you're leaving unhappy. Nothing. We continue not to complain to the people who can change it. And it's especially true, it's been my experience, for people going to school because there are deadlines throughout your day and it takes time to follow the complaint process. But we have a bit of responsibility, I would think, to make sure that when we come across something that's inaccessible, to not whine about it, but to officially file complaints about it. Because that becomes the tool in these two gentlemen's pocket to try to push their point yep. about assuring that all these things are accessible. If, you know, that's the whole problem with braille menus, isn't it? We don't have braille menus here, why? Blind people don't come here. Well, maybe if you had braille menus, blind people would come here, you know? Maybe the reason they're staying away is the lack of it. So the only way they can count heads and say people need this done is if people who need it done don't find an alternate way to do it but force their way through the front door with official complaints when things are inaccessible. 
These tools, as both gentlemen said, can be done accessibly, but they can only be done accessibly if somebody calls them on it. You've got to call them on it each and every time. You may be forced by time to take another alternative, but you need to invest the time in that side of it as well, because we have a responsibility for assuring that these things are now and will continue to be accessible. We left Moodle at the Carroll Center. We left Moodle for a couple of reasons. One is it's very expensive to do online learning from the, from the side of uh, of the ledger of the producer of the content. And everything we create times out. So this is not the cheap way to do education. Uh, it's cheaper for you and me because we don't necessarily have to pay for another classroom building to be built. But it's not cheap in and of itself. We also left Moodle because the, what makes Moodle different than the two that Jeff and Chris were talking about is Moodle is open source. So what does open source mean? Anybody give me a definition? Well, everybody has the opportunity to add to it in one form or another. Everybody owns it and nobody owns it at the same time. We chose it because we liked that big zero at the price tag, said it was free. And we had to put a lot of time and energy into choosing the right components to make an accessible experience. But because everybody owned it and kept adding to it, it became more and more difficult to accept the next mandatory update without breaking accessibility left and right. Uh, it also became very, very difficult to assure ourselves that through that process, there was somebody to turn to to ask the question about the problem. It became a committee of the whole. You can't do anything unless everybody agrees. Boy, that's a tough road to hoe. But it's doable. Um, Jeff, you had mentioned when we were talking about doing this presentation that we need to keep in mind that there are more than one kind of user of online learning management systems. There yep. is the student experience, mm -hmm. but there's other experiences as well, right? Right, so we have the faculty member who is responsible for putting the content into the learning management system and building out their their websites and then we have the people who maintain the learning management systems from an IT perspective so again we're gonna talk to you a little bit now about what do you need to do to try to help in educating your IT staff at your university and your 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 professors on campus First thing is make really, really guys, make sure that your IT and your disability staff members are aware that there are accessibility people out there that are working on these tools and get them engaged because they, they need to be aware of future changes that are coming in, in you know, things like D2L. For example, D2L is soon going to be releasing an, the ability to uh, show accessibility errors when content is created in courses. So you make a change and it will say, oh, well, the, you know, the, the, the size of this content is, is too small, it's not going to work. Or the color contrast is not correct. You know, um, they're, they're putting up content in the, in the HTML editor and the HTML editor will be able to be really intelligent about looking at WCAG 2.0 AA standards and, you know, flagging. Acronym. Oh boy. Oh, you guys don't know all these words. I'm sorry. I just keep going geeky on you. What is WCAG, Brian? I'm going to make you speak into this thing. Spell that. Huh? WCAG, spell it. WCAG, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. That's right. It's a, it's a um, my brain went away for a minute. <laughs> keep speaking in, in uh, TLAs, three-letter and four-letter acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to work, when I went to work for Microsoft a number of years ago, and we went and we were in our HR meeting, you know, they they sit you down in a room and they say, "Okay, we're going to teach you all about how to be Microsoft employees, and here's your blue badge, and here's all your benefits, and blah 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 blah." And then this person gets up there and says, "And now we're going to teach you about all the TLAs." Everyone's like, "TLAs? What? What's that?" And she's like, three-letter acronyms." Yeah. 
all the all the little all the little acronyms that are floating around at Microsoft. Um, that was many moons ago. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. So this is an example of of where you know there's changes happening in your learning management systems, or there are changes that are coming, and and your staff needs to be made aware of those changes. And then what needs to happen is. Well, they need, they need to contact the vendor of their learning management system. So, for example, um, D2L is Brightspace and, and, and Blackboard is Blackboard, right? Is it Black? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't communicate with them. I don't, we don't have those guys. Actually, I think we do. I, hmm? What campus? No, Canvas. Oh, Canvas. Canvas. Yeah, Canvas. Canvas is, a, um, Canvas is actually, that's the name of the company, and they're out of Utah. Uh, and they actually have some blind people working on the Canvas team that are actually doing development for Canvas. So uh, they actually are, are and, and so does uh, the D2L team, the actual development team. They actually, uh, Karen, I know very, very well, and she is blind, and she does a lot of their QA internal work at, at D2L. So, um, so this information needs to be disseminated down to your professors and, and the staff that create content. So that they're aware of the changes that are coming and that there's constant training going on. And you need to ask that your disability resource centers are doing training with those staff members to ensure that they're creating accessible content within their LMS. Um, you can, if you know you're going to take a class this year, you can alert the school that you're going to be taking that class next year, especially if it's required for your degree, and say to them, I want you to conduct an accessibility audit of that class. Ask for an audit before, oh, I registered for the class, now I'd like you to see if it's accessible. It's a little late, right? Just like you were taught, if you were a visually impaired person going to K through 12, you were taught, you know, always ask for your books a little in advance. Know what they're going to be before you're supposed to turn open and read page one. Same scenario here. Request anytime you take a class that the school conduct or show you that they've conducted an accessibility audit of the class you're about to take. I just want to say one more thing for the students as, as well, not to, uh, not to preach at you because I'm a student as well, but uh, you know, engagement is a really important part of the process as far as accessibility. Those of you who are proponents, active proponents of, of inclusion and accessibility really would do well to engage uh, you know, faculty, I mean, certainly we, we, many institutions now that are kind of progressive try to make sure there's a uh, kind of harmonious and, and strategic partnership between uh, IT staff or instructional design staff and the disability services staff as well. Uh, but, you know, what's really important also is if the course content that's being posted to these management systems is accessible. So when you if you should encounter an, an inaccessible file posted on uh, a professor's Blackboard site, for example, you know that file is probably getting recycled, reused for the next course. All the time. So yeah. if you can, if you have the means, direct them nicely, of course, uh, to try to make these things accessible. And if you can't tell them how, direct them to the resources that can. It's not enough just to have disability services staff uh, you know, remediate courses. Accessibility audits are important, but this should really be done as part of, this, as part of the design process. Well, there's web. Well, there's the, the best site that we have recommended for um, faculty and IT staff um, is probably webaim.org. That, that's probably the most concise website area that's free. Now there's others, and there's others that are free too. But we have found that webaim really has things very nicely consolidated. Um, you know how to create accessible tables, how to create you know accessible forms. Um, you know, using heading structure properly, all of that stuff. 
uh, which, which you know, you need to know because your LMS course sites are basically just HTML pages. So, WebAIM, W-E-B-A-I-M -E dot org. And it, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're really, really good people and, and um, they're, they're coming out, they have, a, they have a free accessibility checker uh, called WAVE and uh, WAVE is coming out later this year open source and people are going to be allowed to put it on servers for free in nonprofit institutions. And, and your wave your Yep, wave.webaim.org if you want to be able to go scan a site. And it's accessible too, it's really, really good. It's a good example of, uh, uh, it's a good basic, you know, single page web scanning solution. It's not really meant for scanning, you know, an entire, you know, you know, website, you know, with hundreds and hundreds of pages. It's not really designed for that. It's, it's designed for scanning one specific page. But, uh, yeah, it's good. Uh -huh. And we started doing a lot of interfacing with faculty and IT and things like that to try to get them to implement these accessibility and content things. And you were talking about you have a course that you teach or, or that you put together um, accessibility and how that way. Yeah. Um, is there a book that you're using or is it you kind of develop some modules or is it kind of just evolved depending on who you are working with? Well, so here, here's what we have found is that if we were designed to design a three-day three course mm -hmm. and have people come, they would absorb about 10 minutes of it, yeah. Yeah. and then they would, you know, it would be pointless. So what we try to do is we try to develop one, one to two-hour presentations mm -hmm. where we focus on, you know, basic things. So the first thing that we did was web accessibility done the Wildcat way, which where we took the top 10 web accessibility issues and we talked about them at a very, very, very high level. Very high level, you know? Just to get their feet wet, enough to know, and, and lots and lots and lots of resources, right? Lots of links to point them places. Um, and that was very effective. Uh, and that came, that, that forced a lot of people, not really forced, but they, they wanted, they would then come to us more and ask us more questions. Okay, well, I'm designing these tables, these HTML tables, you know, for data, and they're kind of complex, and they have multiple levels, so what do I do about that? You know, that kind of thing. That made them hungry for more information. Um, then we branched out, and we started take, tackling things at a more detailed level, where we taught uh, a class on, um, on document accessibility, you know, Word and PDF accessibility, and how to mark up your PDFs the right way and how to create accessible forms in Word, and how to do web forms so that they're accessible, so that fields are labeled. Uh, this coming year, we're going to be doing a, a course, we're still, this is going to be my project, I, so I can say that it's gonna happen. At least I bet better happen. <laughs> is uh, uh, we're gonna be working on, on, on the basics of ARIA. We're finding that, that even our learning management systems are being embedded with very, very complex and very dynamic web applications, okay? And so we wanna teach the basics of, of ARIA, which is, uh, uh, oh boy, let's see. I know, I just ran into that too recently, yeah. <laughs> Application, uh, accessible yeah, accessible rich internet applications, thank you. Jeez, um, <laughs> all, these, all these acronyms. Yeah. You know, you, you get used to the acronyms and then you just forget what they mean because you know what they mean, right? <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of crazy. So so we're going to be doing that. You know how how to make these sliders and toolbars and menu bars that are in web w websites more accessible, or these menu bars that have multiple levels, you know, how, and pull down menus and all that. How do you make these things accessible that that don't really interface with the keyboard today? You know that kind of stuff. And it's happening all over the place. I mean, I mean. University front-facing web pages are like this now, um, and and so you really need. This really comes down to making sure that you you put on your advocacy hat, and if you find issues, that you make people aware, and so that they can be fixing these issues because they're not going to be fixed if they st if we keep them in the dark. So it sounds kind of like what we're doing in the 
Yep. 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 Chris wants to say something, and then I'll come back and talk about teaching students in a minute too. Yeah, uh, I just want to add that you know, the uh, City University of New York School of Professional Studies, where is uh, working on developing a self-paced course, a faculty training course for authoring accessible content. And we're having a variety of modules. It's all on Blackboard. Uh, just received a pretty substantial grant to work on that, actually. And um, you know, it's it's all for kind of bridging the gap in, in making sure that the content that's going up there is accessible. So we found that a lot of folks you know, weren't necessarily receptive to this kind of intensive uh, accessibility training you know, in person, this kind of boot camp mindset. So we're, we're starting to, to think of, of different ways to engage people on the faculty side. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to talk about, um, and, and this is something that we're going to start looking at doing too, and that is trying to educate our, our university students and some of our K-12 people who are going to be moving into university sectors, more about online environments and online collaborative tools, such as Google Docs. I mean, anybody out there using Google Docs right now? Woo! Okay, all right. How, are, how, it, how has the experience been for you? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah? yeah. Are, are you using it with a screen reader? Or? Yep. Okay, what are you using? Okay, Any, all right, good, okay, all right. Anyone else want to comment on that? Yeah, see, that's kind of been my experience, too. It's been kind of ups and downs. So the, 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 the key problem here is, and this comes back to what we talked about earlier, which is knowing your tool set, right? You kind of need to know your tool set really, really, really well to work with Google Docs because it requires some really advanced you know, knowledge of even how to turn on the accessibility mode in Google Docs, right? Yeah. So, so this is an area that we want to try to focus on. And, and if, if you don't have that knowledge and you want that knowledge, then make sure you're asking you know, your universities for that. We're, we're, we're really trying to, we, we both in, Ari in Arizona and, and in ACB are really trying hard to, to try to come up with a way or, or a strategy, a national strategy to make this more effective for students. This is, a, this is another really key thing that's, that's, uh, uh, that I'm really hammering on right now. Yes. Yes, you do. M even more so. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, you're no, no, you're not. You're protecting your job, protecting yourself. Oh yeah, oh yeah. See, this is where it gets complicated. Now D2L, D2L, um, I'll tell you a little dirty secret about D2L. D, D2L, D2L broke their discussion forums and made them less accessible. And the whole, and everybody in the accessibility community went nuts. You need to bring back the grid that was more accessible, and they did, very fast. Well, not very, nothing's fast. But I mean, you know, nothing as fast as I'd like. But I, you know, I, it took it took a, it took months. But I mean, it came back. So you're right. I mean, the, these kinds of things. This is why you really need to know your tool set, right? Um, you know, discussion forums and 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 these kinds of things, especially when they're threaded like that. You're right. Are very very complicated. Absolutely. Yep. I was just gonna say, you know, we we. That's kind of what we do too, is, is if there's barriers like that, okay, let's think outside the box and c come up with other strategies that work. Yeah, I don't know the, I don't know the answer to that for Canvas, but you know what, there's some, there's some really, really, um, there's a great accessibility community around Canvas that are of, a, of end users, right? Not just IT, you know, geeky heads who, who you know, would use a lot more acronyms than we're using today probably. 
Well, um, I, I know that if you contact Canvas directly, the company, right. they, they are very well of this accessibility group because it, they, they drive product and innovation within Canvas. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an extremely strategic uh, part of Canvas. Um, and they are listened to very, very heavily uh, as far as direction of product. So just contact your uh, account manager or have the, the, your IT people or who, whatever your contact person is for Canvas, have them contact their account manager and they'll be able to put you in touch with that resource. But they have monthly, uh, monthly, I, th I think they're, I think they're monthly or they're quarterly or, I think they're monthly actually, calls. And I mean, there's people from you know the University of Washington there. There's people all over the all over the United States, and and these are hardcore accessibility you know professionals. I mean, big time. Um, people you would definitely know in this industry. What would you call this group? Maybe if you were accessibility. Um, I, I accessibility users group for Canvas. Is that what it is? That would work. Um, I have I have. Um, I think on my phone I have uh, some email threads from them, and I think what I can do is I can. Um, wh what would be the best thing to do? Forward it. Is Tiffany here? Tiffany? Okay, no. Um, any other ACBS yeah, officers, leaders. Uh, leaders here? Okay. So okay. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know you were an officer. I didn't know. I'm sorry. Um, um, okay. I'll get the information to Chris. Oh, like like Adobe Connect? I don't know. I haven't done it, but I know my niece um, does a presentation with Dorothy Wood. It's very Okay, Brian's going to well, take that. Well, Chrome is a very interesting situation right now because uh, a lot of mandatory testing, you know, eighth grade, twelfth grade, that kind of testing, is being done on Chromebooks, and so that means that it's using probably for speech Chromevox, uh, and that also means that most of our students have to learn yet another operating system and another screen reader in order to do this one thing test and because those who are not approaching this as visually impaired individuals can reach for the mouse point and click and move on pretty rapidly accessibility here is not whether it's accessible it's whether it's usable with the right amount of effort a similar level of effort so we're kind of fighting it a bit but we're we're going to lose the battle in all honesty because it's a much less expensive way for school systems to do it in terms of the investment in the hardware and software. So that being the case, um, can all this be done? Yes, it can be, but it requires that, uh, I was talking to a student, a person here the other day who was one of my first students 30 years ago, who came to this convention. I said, God, I don't need to hear this. But anyway, um, and um, we were talking about the the so supposedly good old days when things were straightforward and reasonable. And we, you've heard us up here talk about toolboxes. And I guess part of what we need to do is to advocate for the right to get training and what we need to know before we need to know it. They will change it again. But we have to build a system that acknowledges that this is the case. Most of them do have some form of sandbox oh, okay. that you can do, and frequently those systems have training modules on using the system. Blackboard certainly does. I'm, I, I'm, Canvas, does. Canvas does as well. How so, do you get access to those, though, if we're not part of the educational entity and, and 
Well, again, this is what I, so far the Carroll Center has worked with eight colleges and universities in doing web evaluation of their online learning systems, of their of samples of their courses, their registration process, et cetera. And every time we do an evaluation, it ends with something we think is very important, which is training their staff how to do things. And we always require access to a sandbox account that is a full-featured sandbox account, having access to all the components that any other account would have. And we encourage them, when we're done with them, to make this available to the Disabled Student Services Office and to make it available specifically for third-party vendors who may be providing some additional training, like places like the Carroll Center. But we end up getting to advocate for this on college by college by college, university by university by university. And even trying to do it through systems hasn't been particularly successful. So our, our number at this point is eight. But that eight includes a few notable ones like Boston College and Boston University. Um, so some, some big ones and some little community colleges. The other thing is when, when I went out to find a university to attend, I was like any other college student. First was, what could I afford? Didn't matter who was accessible. If I couldn't afford them, I'm not going. Two, that they had to be in the geographical area I was intending to go to. Some as far away from mom and dad as possible. Some as close to mom and dad as possible. But more likely, wherever your girlfriend went. <laughs> right? Then disabled student services came into vogue. and I. Uh, I shouldn't say Vogue like I don't like them. I think they're terrific, but my disabled student services office was an unused closet in the music department. So yeah, other people have been to that same space, I think. Um, but nonetheless, so we got disabled student services available. What we also need to think about is not just the price, not just the location, not just do they do the degree, but what confidence do we have in the online learning management system they currently use? So you, students need to learn to ask the question and then do some pre-research, just like they did on the other parts of choosing where they're going to go to school, where they're going to spend an outrageous amount of money getting an education. Again, I keep, keep getting preachy, I'm sorry about that, but it really scares me, quite honestly, that people spend so much time pointing their finger at the tech as if that's the problem. The problem is how we, we the jellyware, not quite hard like hardware, not quite soft like software, but somewhere in between kind of jelly where we have a responsibility to make the whole thing work. So I actually have a question. Go. Um, I work a lot with transitioning kids uh, in a little bit from you know, middle, middle school, high school, like working, working them up through college and then adult development. Mm -hmm. Right. 
This is, this is a great question, and we're, we're really, we've already gone over a little bit over time, so I don't want to spend too much time on this. But these are the exact questions that I'm asking of, uh, of people in the industry right now. How, how do we... Where, where things are really going in this regard, just the other day, the Rehabilitation Services Administration released the final WIOA regulations. Workforce Opportunity and in, in, uh, Investment Act, okay, WIOA. And in there, they have made as part of the funding requirements that 15% of federal monies provided to rehabilitation agencies must be spent on transitional aged students, 14 to high school graduation. And there's not an agency in this country that is not struggling to find ways to spend that money fast enough. So what, what I would recommend is if you're in a space where that's not happening right now, where students aren't given the opportunity to take a summer camp in tech use, or um, classes during Christmas break or whatever, that you make that request because they are desperate for solutions on how to spend that 15% because they've never done it before to that degree. And this is exactly pre-vocational training, isn't it? Jim Denham? No, no, no. No, no, hold on a second. Jim Denham, you're in the room still? And what are you going to be doing for my Computing for College class? Thank you. And I have uh, Holyoke Community College showing them how to use Moodle, which is what they use there. So it absolutely needs to be a component of it. I shared a lunch today with Sarah Herlinger. Anybody know that name? Mm -hmm. From Apple. She'll be receiving an, an ACB award tomorrow. Uh, and we've talked a great deal about how kids are showing up being Mac users part of their day and PC users another part of the day. And the primary reason they're spending so much time on PC is because that's the way the rehab system thinks. Part of it, in all honesty, is if you take a look at who's got jobs with computer literacy, how many people have jobs because they are Mac literate versus PC literate? Most of our customers. Most, most of the jobs, quite honestly require PC literacy. And my answer to the question is, you can't succeed if you, a, a person who's in the eighth grade today better be literate in more than one operating system by the time they get to college, let alone by the time they get to the workforce. Well, we've overrun our time. We did start late, so those who organized this, you know, we're not totally responsible for that, right? Quick question, last question. Well, I, I will simply say this to this whole scenario, and that is we are benefiting from and struggling with rapidity of change. <laughs> Things happen so quickly that if you wait till it's published before you work on the accessibility question, you're already screwed. Yep. There's no way you're going to win that battle. So we in ACB advocate with all of these entities when we can by regulation, law, by regulation, and by controlling a bit through relationships with companies to assure that these kinds of things, the accessibility question is the first question. I went to a conference a couple of weeks ago in Washington, D.C. called the M-Enabling Conference. Happens every year. 
and it's the head of this and the head of that and the head of the other thing for all of these different tech companies. And every one of them, every one of the companies said within the first five minutes of their presentation, we are hiring. We are hiring people who have knowledge about access technology into our companies. So the reason they're doing that is they are, to a large extent, getting this issue of it's cheaper to build it in in the first place than to bolt it on after the fact. Now, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but they are hiring, and boy, is that driving the price of that talent up for those who are lucky enough to have it and willing to relocate. Talk to Microsoft and Apple and Adobe and IBM and Google because they're taking resumes left and right. Okay, thank you all for being here. I hope this was of some use to you.